After reciting the Tashahud Ta'awz and Surah Al-Fatiha, Hazrat Khalif Tumsi V, Ayyadahullah Ta'ala bin Asir Laziz stated, The name of the companion whose accounts I will narrate today is Hazrat Musa bin Umar radiallahu anhu. Hazrat Musa bin Umar belonged to the Banu Abdaddar clan of the Quraysh tribe. The title of Hazrat Musa bin Umar was Abu Abdullah. And in another narration, it has been reported as Abu Muhammad. Hazrat Musab's father's name was Umair bin Hashim, and his mother's name was Khanas or Hanas bint Malik, who was an affluent lady from Mecca. Hazrat Musab bin Umair's parents loved him dearly. Hazrat Musab bin Umair's mother brought him up, giving him many comforts and luxuries and would give him the best clothes to wear. He used to wear the most excellent fragrance available in Mecca, and even his shoes would be brought from Hadrami, which is the name of a place, and this was exclusive only for the affluent. Hadramot was a vast open plain near the sea situated to the east of Aden. Nonetheless, he would wear immaculate clothes and use the best fragrance and even his shoes were brought from outside. Hazrat Musab's wife's name was Hamna bint Jash, who was the sister of Ummul Mu'minin Hazrat Zainab bint Jash, the wife of the Holy Prophet Hazrat Musab had one daughter with her. The Holy Prophet ﷺ used to remember Musab and he used to say, 
I have not seen a more handsome individual than Musab, who was brought up surrounded by comforts and luxuries. Hazrat Musab bin Umair was among the most prominent companions and was also among the first people who accepted Islam. He accepted Islam at the time when the Holy Prophet used to preach in Dari Arkham. However, he kept it secret for fear of opposition from his mother and his people. Hazrat Musab used to meet the Holy Prophet in secret. Once Usman bin Talha caught him while he was praying and informed his mother and other members of his household and consequently his parents imprisoned him. He remained imprisoned until his migration to Abyssinia. When he saw an opportunity, he escaped and migrated. After some time, when some of the migrants returned from Abyssinia to Mecca, Hazrat Musab bin Umair was also among them. When his mother saw his poor state, she decided to give up the opposition and let her son be. Hazrat Musab bin Umair had the honor of migrating twice. He first migrated to Abyssinia and then also to Medina. Hazrat Saad bin Abi Waqas narrates, I saw Hazrat Musab bin Umair in the time when he was affluent as well as after becoming a Muslim. He endured so many hardships for the sake of Islam that I saw that his skin used to come off just as a snake would shed its skin. They established such standards of sacrifice that one is amazed by them. Once, Hazrat Musab bin Ayr came to the Holy Prophet while he was sitting amongst some of his companions. On that occasion, the clothes of Hazrat Musab were patched with pieces of the. There was a time when he used to wear clothes of the highest quality, but then after becoming a Muslim, the state of his clothes was such that they would be patched together using pieces of leather. The companions saw Hazrat Musab and lowered their heads as they were unable to help Hazrat Musab bin Umair in the change of his circumstances. Hazrat Musab bin Umair stepped forward and offered his salam, i.e. the Islamic greetings of peace. The Holy Prophet ﷺ replied to him and praised him in a most excellent manner. Following this, the Holy Prophet ﷺ said that all praise belongs to Allah. May worldly people be granted from this world. I have seen Musab at a time when there was no one more affluent and wealthy in the city of Mecca than him. He was the dearest child of his parents. However, the love of God and his messenger has brought him to this state today, and he left all of that behind for the sake of God and his pleasure. Hazrat Saad bin Abi Waqas relates that the Holy Prophet looked at Hazrat Musab bin Umar and remembering his previous state of blessings and fortune, he began to cry. The Holy Prophet ﷺ remembered his previous condition and the sacrifice he was making now.
Hazrat Ali radiallahu anhu relates We were sitting in the mosque with the Holy Prophet when Hazrat Musa bin Umar radiallahu anhu arrived. He was wearing a cloak patched with pieces of leather. When the Holy Prophet saw him, he remembered his previous state of blessings and fortune and saw the state he was in now and began to cry. Following this, the Holy Prophet said, What will your condition be when one of you will wake up in the morning in one pair of clothes and wear another pair of clothes at night? That is, they would become so affluent that they would be able to change the clothes they were wearing in the morning to a different pair of clothes at night. Following this, the Holy Prophet said, One plate of food will be placed before him and another will be taken away. That is, there will be various kinds of foods and various dishes will be served similar to the custom today. You will cover your houses in cloths similar to how the Kaaba is covered, i.e. very expensive cloths will be used. This is precisely what is witnessed today, or this affluence was granted to the Muslims later on. The companions said, O Messenger of Allah, will we be much better off at that time in comparison to today, and will we have time for worship? The companions asked that in such affluence and in such circumstances, will they have enough time for worship, and will they be saved from working and struggling? Upon this, the Holy Prophet said, this is not the case. Rather, you are better off today than at that time. Your condition and your worship and your standards are much loftier than of those who will come after you owing to their wealth and affluence. I have mentioned the migration to Abyssinia in reference to other companions. However, I will mention it briefly again. In this regard, Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmad Sahib states in Sirah Khatam al-Nabiyin, Therefore, upon the instruction of the Holy Prophet ﷺ, in the month of Rajab, five Nabawi, eleven men and four women migrated to Abyssinia. Hazrat Musa bin Umair was among them. Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmad further writes, It is very strange that a majority of these pioneer immigrants were those who belonged to powerful tribes of the Quraysh and the weaker were few and far between. This illustrates two things. Firstly, even those who belonged to the powerful tribes of the Quraysh were not safe from the cruelties of the Quraysh. Secondly, weak people such as slaves etc. at that time were in such a grave state of weakness and misery that they were not even able to migrate. Nonetheless, when the Quraysh were informed of this, they were deeply enraged that this prey had slipped out of their hands. Hence, they pursued these immigrants, but when their men reached the coast, the ship had already departed, and for this reason they returned disappointed. Upon reaching Abyssinia, the Muslims found a life of great peace and protection from the cruelties of the Quraysh after much difficulty and prayers. On the occasion of the first pledge at Aqaba, twelve individuals came from Medina to take the oath of allegiance at the hand of the Holy Prophet ﷺ. When they were preparing to return to Medina, the Holy Prophet ﷺ 
also sent Hazrat Musa bin Umar radiallahu anhu with them in order to teach them the Holy Quran and about Islam. He was known in Medina by the titles of Qadi and Muqri, i.e. he became known as the teacher. According to another tradition, the Aws and Khazraj tribes of the Ansar went to the Holy Prophet ﷺ and requested for someone in order to teach them the Holy Quran. The Holy Prophet ﷺ therefore sent Hazrat Musa bin Umar anhu. Whilst in Medina, Hazrat Musa bin Umar stayed at the house of Hazrat Asad bin Zurara. He also carried out the duty of leading the prayers. Hazrat Musa bin Umar stayed at the house of Hazrat Asad bin Zurara for a long period of time, but later on he moved to the house of Hazrat Saad bin Muaz. Hazrat Bara bin Azib relates The very first Mahajir companions of the Holy Prophet ﷺ to migrate to Medina were Hazrat Musab bin Umar and Hazrat Ibn Umm Maktoum. When they arrived in Medina, they began teaching us the Holy Quran. Subsequently, Hazrat Ammar, Hazrat Bilal, and Hazrat Saad also came. Then Hazrat Umar bin Khattab came alongside some other companions. Thereafter, the Holy Prophet arrived. He further states, I have never seen the people of Medina so happy as on the occasion when the Holy Prophet arrived. And the girls and the boys were proclaiming, You are the Messenger of Allah, and you have come to us. With regards to Hazrat Musa bin Umar, Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmed Sahib writes in Seer Khatam Nabeen, Those who accepted Islam in Dari Arkham are included amongst the pioneers. Among these, the most renowned are Musa bin Umar, who was from the Banu Abdiddar. He was very handsome and striking and was held very dear among his family. This is the same noble young man who was sent as a missionary to Yathrib prior to the migration and through whom Islam spread in Medina. It is stated in a book on the life of the Holy Prophet ﷺ that Hazrat Musa bin Umar led the Friday prayers prior to the migration. Hazrat Musa bin Umar requested permission from the Holy Prophet ﷺ before the second pledge at Aqaba to lead the Friday prayers in Medina, and he duly granted permission. Hazrat Musa bin Umar led the first Friday prayers in the house of Hazrat Saad bin Khaythama in which 12 people of Medina participated and on this occasion he slaughtered a goat. Hazrat Musa bin Umar was the first person in Islam to lead the Friday prayers. 
However, there is another narration in which it is mentioned that Hazrat Abu Umama Asad bin Zurada was the first to lead a Friday prayer in Medina. Whatever the case may be, Hazrat Musa bin Umair was the first missionary there. Hazrat Musa bin Umair would go along with Hazrat Asad bin Zurada to preach in different neighborhoods of the Ansar. Many people accepted Islam as a result of the preaching of Hazrat Musa bin Umair, among whom are some of the prominent companions such as Hazrat Saad bin Muaz, Hazrat Ibad bin Bishr, Hazrat Muhammad bin Maslama, Hazrat Usaid bin Huzair, etc. Whilst mentioning the preaching efforts of Hazrat Musa bin Umair radiallahu anhu, Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmed Sahib radiallahu anhu writes, Whilst departing from Mecca, these 12 new Muslim converts requested, Please send an Islamic tutor with us who can teach us Islam and can preach Islam to our idolatrous brothers as well. The Holy Prophet sent Musa bin Umair, a very devout young man from the Abdul Dar tribe, along with them. An Islamic preacher was referred to as a Qari or Mukri in those days because the majority of their work was to recite the Holy Quran, and this was the best method of preaching. As such, Musab was also renowned by the name Mukri in Yathrib. When he arrived in Medina, Musa bin Umair stayed at the home of Asad bin Zurara, who was the first Muslim of Medina and was a very devout and influential leader. His home was transformed into a preaching center and Musa began to perform his duties with full attention. Since the Muslims of Medina lived a collective life and Medina was comparatively more peaceful, upon the proposal of Asad bin Zurara, the Holy Prophet ﷺ instructed Musa bin Umair to begin offering the Jummah prayer. And in this way, the Muslims began their life as a unified community. The blessings of Allah were such as it was not long before the religion of Islam began to find popularity in every home of Medina. The Aus and Khazraj began to accept Islam very rapidly. In some cases, the entirety of a tribe would accept Islam in one day. Thus, the Banu Abdul Ashal tribe also accepted Islam in this manner and became Muslim at once. This was a very distinct branch of the Ansar tribe known as the Aus. And the chieftain of this tribe was named Saad bin Muaz. Not only was he the chieftain of the Abdul Ashil tribe, but he was the leader of the entire Aus tribe as well. When Islam began to find popularity in Medina, Saad bin Muaz disliked it and endeavoured to stop it. Before accepting Islam, Hazrat Saad bin Muaz opposed it greatly. But he was closely related to Asad bin Zurara. 
Both of them were cousins and Asad had become a Muslim. For this reason, Sa'ad bin Mu'az would not approach him personally so as to prevent a dispute. As such, he said to another one of his relatives, Usaid bin al-Hudayr, I am somewhat embarrassed to say anything due to Asad bin Zurada, since he has become a Muslim and is helping in spreading the message. But you go and stop Musab. Instead of stopping Asad bin Zurada, they decided to stop Musab from preaching and from spreading this irreligiousness. Tell Asad as well that this way of life is not right. Usaid was from the revered chieftains of the Banu Abdul Ashur tribe and his father had remained the leader of the entire Aus tribe during the Battle of Boath. After Sa'ad bin Mu'az, Usaid bin al-Hudayr possessed significant influence within his tribe. Therefore, upon the encouragement of Sa'ad, he went to Musab bin Umair and Asad bin Zurara. He addressed Musab in a tone of anger, saying, Why do you make our people irreligious? Abstain from this, or the outcome shall not be pleasant. Before Musab could answer, Asad softly told Musab, He is a very powerful chieftain of his tribe. Speak to him very sympathetically and lovingly. Therefore, Musab addressed him in a very respectful and loving tone and said, Do not be angry. Rather, be so kind as to sit and listen to what we have to say with a cool heart. Then you may formulate your opinion. Usaid found this to be logical proposition and sat down. Musab recited the Holy Quran to him and enlightened him of Islamic teachings very benevolently. Usaid was so moved that he accepted Islam right away and said, There is such a man behind me that if he converts, our entire tribe will accept Islam. Wait here, I shall send him. After this, Usaid left and by some excuse he sent Sa'ad bin Mu'az to Musa bin Umair and Asad bin Zurara. Sa'ad bin Mu'az came and furiously said to Asad bin Zurara, Look here, Asad. Indeed, you are misusing your family relations, and this is not right. If I am silent on this matter, then it is only owing to our family ties, but do not take advantage of this. Upon this, in the same manner as before, Musab tenderly and lovingly cooled him down and said, Take a seat here and listen to what I have to say. If then there is something objectionable, you may reject it. Saad responded, All right, this appeal seems to be rational. Resting his spear, he took a seat and in the same manner, Musab recited the Holy Quran him and expounded Islamic principles in his very attractive manner. It was not long before this idol also submitted. I.e. before long, Hazrat Saad bin Muaz 
also accepted Islam. Therefore, as per the custom, Saad bathed and recited the Kalama Shahat. After this, Saad bin Muaz and Usaid bin Al-Huzair went to their tribesmen, and Saad inquired of them in a particular Arabian custom. O Bani Abdul Ashil, how do you find me? They all answered in unison, You are our leader and the son of our leader. We have full trust in you. Saad responded, Then I have nothing to do with you until you believe in Allah and His Messenger. After this, Saad explained the principles of Islam to them. An evening had not yet come before the entire tribe had converted to Islam. Saad and Usaid broke the idols that belonged to their people with their own hands. Saad bin Muaz and Usaid bin Al-Hudair who accepted Islam that day are counted amongst the most eminent of companions. Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmed Sahib further stays and among the Ansar undoubtedly they possess a magnificent status. In particular, Saad bin Muaz received a position amongst the Ansar, as did Hazrat Abu Bakr amongst the Muhajireen of Makkah. This young man turned out to be extremely sincere, remarkably loyal, and an exceptionally devoted lover of Islam and the founder of Islam. Since he was also the chieftain of his tribe, he was extraordinarily intelligent as well. He acquired such a position in Islam which was not only distinctive, nay, the most distinctive companions of the Holy Prophet ﷺ acquired. No doubt, upon his early demise, the words of the Holy Prophet ﷺ that upon the demise of Saad, even the throne of the gracious God has come into motion was based on a very deep reality. Therefore, in this manner, Islam began to spread throughout the Aus and the Khazraj tribe very rapidly. The Jews would look to this site in terror. In their hearts they would say, God knows what is about to happen. Owing to the preaching efforts of Musa bin Umair, many people accepted Islam. On the occasion of Hajj 13 Hijri, he brought a delegation of 70 Ansaris to Mecca. Analyzing this from various sources, Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmed Sahib writes in Sir Khatam al-Nabiyyin The following year, that is Dhul Hijjah of 13 Nabawi, on the occasion of Hajj, many hundreds of people from the Aus and Khazraj tribe came to Mecca. Among them, there were 70 such people who had either become Muslim or now desired to become Muslims and came to Mecca in order to meet the Holy Prophet Musa bin Omer was also among them. Musab's mother was alive, and although she was an idolatress, loved him very much. When she was informed of his coming, she sent word that 
first come and meet me, then go elsewhere. Musab responded, I have not yet met the Holy Prophet I shall come to you once I have met him. Therefore, he presented himself before the Holy Prophet first and briefed him on key issues, then visited his mother. On seeing that he had not gone to meet her first, she was very set. When she saw him, she began to weep and complain. Musab said, Mother, I tell you something wonderful, which is very beneficial for you, and shall put an end to every disagreement. She inquired, What is that? Musab quietly responded, This, that you forsake idol worship and become a Muslim, and believe in the Holy Prophet she was a firm idolatress, and as soon as she heard this, she began to put up a commotion, saying, I swear by the stars that I shall never enter your religion, and signalled her relatives to capture Musab, but he managed to escape. There are still some accounts of Hazrat Musab bin Omer which remain to be narrated, but since there are two funerals in absentia, Therefore, I will end the accounts of Hazrat Musa bin Umair here and will, God willing, continue to relate them in the next sermon. The first funeral is of respected Malik Munamur Ahmed Juwaid Sahib, son of respected Malik Muzaffar Ahmed Sahib, who passed away on 22nd of February at the age of 84. Surely to Allah we belong and to Him shall we return. He was suffering from a liver ailment for some time and after spending 10 days in the Tahirat Institute for treatment, he passed away and met his creator. The deceased was a Musi and is survived by his wife, four sons and two daughters. Malik Munavar Ahmed Javed Sahib's paternal grandfather was Hazrat Dr. Zafar Chaudhary Sahib And his maternal grandfather was Hazrat Sheikh Abdul Kareem Sahib, who was from Ghazipur, Gurdaspur. His paternal grandfather was from Dharamkot, Randava. Both of his elders, i.e., both grandfathers, did the bayat at the hands of the promised Messiah, and thereby had the honour of being counted amongst the companions. Malik Munawar Javed Sahib's marriage took place with Salma Javed Sahiba in 1968, who is the daughter of the late Sufi Hamid Sahib. She was the paternal granddaughter of Hazrat Hafiz Sufi Ghulam Muhammad Sahib, a missionary who served in Mauritius, and who also was a companion of the Promised Messiah. Also, she was the maternal granddaughter of Hazrat Dr. Zafar Hussain Sahib, 
who was also a companion of the Promised Messiah, Hazrat Sufi Ghulam Muhammad Sahib, who served in Mauritius, was among the 313 companions of the Promised Messiah. Hence, both Malik Munawar Javed Sahib and his wife's maternal and paternal grandfathers were companions of the Promised Messiah by the grace of Allah the Almighty. On one occasion, whilst mentioning about his waqf, a life devotion, Malik Sahib stated that he was once listening to the address of Hazrat Khalid the Masih the Fourth, Rahimahullah, in 1982 at the Ansarullah Ishtama. In his address, Hazul spoke about the importance of waqf, and in his concluding words, the gist of which was that. Do you not desire to spend your very last breath in a state of waqf? He states that these words of Hazul proved to be a turning point for him, and he kept deliberating whether or not he should do waqf. In any case, he ultimately decided to present himself for waqf and submitted his request to Hazrat Khalif the Masih the Fourth, Rahimahullah, on 10th of August 1983. Hazur Rahimahullah accepted his waqf on 18th of August 1983 and stated that he could finish up with his previous work and then join as the time he was running his own business. His first official appointment by Hazrat Khalif the Masih the Fourth was on 28th of August 1983 in Vakalat Sanat Tajarat. and he formally began serving in the office from 1st of October 1983. Prior to his work, he worked for 16 years in the Secretariat of the Punjab government and after that ran his own business for 10 years. In November 1983, he was appointed as the manager for the Review of Religions magazine and in 1984, he was appointed as the Marvin Nazir Ziafat. From 20th of April 1983 to July 2016, he had the opportunity to serve as Naib Nazir Ziafat. In 1990, when a committee was formed for the welfare of the orphans, he was appointed as its first secretary and rendered this service for approximately 20 years. From 1968 to 1970, he served in Khudam al Pakistan as the guide of his district and also Lahore and continued to serve for approximately 10 years. The deceased also had the opportunity to serve in the organization of Majlis and Sarla from 1984 to 2014. And during this 31 year of service, he served as Guide Tahrikajadid, Guide Tarbiyat, Guide Shad, and during the last five years, 
he had the opportunity to serve as a Naib Sadr of Majlis and Sarullah in Pakistan. Narrating an account during his service in the government office, Malik Sahib once stated, During my service, one of our senior officers was extremely prejudiced and would often invite his Molvis to engage in a debate with me. On one occasion, he brought Allama Professor Khalid Mahmood Sahib, who was a renowned scholar at the time. The debate began, and when the Allama Sahib could not present any adequate argument, he became angry and began hurling verbal abuse, as is the general practice of the Mulvis. My officer in charge, whose name was Abdurrahman, began to worry lest the debate became extremely unfavorable for them. Assuring my office in charge, the Allama Sahib said to him, These words of his are such that they reflect the fact that he truly believed that the members of the Jamaat had a bond with Allah the Almighty. He stated that these people have committed such great injustices against God Almighty, His Messenger وسلم, and the Book of Allah, that God would surely have destroyed them by now. But they continue to be saved each time. The Mulvi then stated that the reason why they are saved is because they profusely cry in their prayers. Malik Sahib states, I asked the Mulvi Sahib to give me this explanation in writing. He inquired why I wanted this and stated in Punjabi, If I give this in writing today, by tomorrow you will have it published in a newspaper. Thus the Mulvi had no choice but to admit that the fervent supplication of the Ahmadis aids them in every instance and Allah the Almighty grants acceptance to their prayers. Despite considering us to be wrong, yet they still believe that Allah the Almighty listens to our prayers. May Allah the Almighty open their eyes to the truth and may He also save this nation from their deceptive ways as a result of which they are completely misguided in them and have led people astray. The Marvin Nazir Ziafat Osama Azhar Sahib states that Malik Manavar Ahmed Sahib possessed many excellent qualities. He would wake up in the night and inspect the Daru Ziafat and take reports from the workers and depending on the weather, he would also make arrangements for tea and eggs. He would treat the workers in Daru Ziafat with great love and affection and compassion. He was aware of the personal circumstances of each and every worker in Daru Ziafat and would discreetly offer them financial help as much as possible. Malik Sahib's son-in-law, Nadim Sahib, who is also his nephew, states that he would always advise him to offer prayers, instill love for Khilafat and to serve the faith. He further states that he once told him that after taking retirement, he decided to half his voluntary financial sacrifices which he previously offered, since his allowance had now reduced. Hence, he drafted a list of all his promises and then fell asleep. 
He states that in the night he saw in a dream that Allah the Almighty came to him and said, I am the Lord of this world. I have heard that you have halved your jandah contributions. Come with me, let me show you the universe. And so in his dream, Allah the Almighty showed him his mountains, jungles, valleys, rivers and his gardens. God Almighty then said, When I possess sovereignty over all of these, then why do you need to worry? Malik Sahib states that upon this, he awoke from his dream and abandoned his decision to halve his contributions and continue to offer his chandas as normal. Malik Sahib's wife states that before Waqf, when he used to do business, he would put a large amount of money in his pocket and wrap his shawl around him and would go out onto the streets during the winter nights. He would say that if he saw someone in need then, such an individual would certainly be someone who was in genuine need. Thus, one day he saw an individual who looked extremely worried, who informed him that his mother was extremely ill and he did not have any money. Malik Sahib handed him all the money to him and returned home. Mu'avin Nazir Ziafat Asif Majid Sahib, who is also a missionary, writes, Due to the volume of guests, on occasions, the guests would have difficulties finding accommodation. Some guests would come to the office and openly use harsh words. However, the deceased would always listen to them happily. He then says, At times, I have seen him apologizing to guests with his hands joined together. Some of the guests he would apologize to would be the same age as the deceased's children. On one occasion, after the guest had left, I said that I was greatly pained to see him seeking forgiveness with his hands together, to which he replied, Why do you feel any pain? I was the one who put my hands together, not you. Remember, these are the guests of the Promised Messiah, who ran without wearing any shoes in order to chase after a guest who felt aggrieved. Asif Sahib then writes, Once I was sitting in his office when the deceased narrated an incident. The deceased said that one day an elderly gentleman came to his office and speaking in Punjabi, he asked in an angry tone if he was Malik Manavar Javed. Malik Sahib answered in the affirmative. The elderly guest said in Punjabi, Does your father own the Langar Khana? Malik Sai replied, No, sir. This is the Langar Khana of the Promised Messiah, who is the father of both you and I. Upon this, the elderly gentleman's anger subsided, and he then explained his issues in a calm and loving manner. At times, the conduct of the guests is also inappropriate. I receive complaints from people who mention that they were not properly taken care of or they were ill-treated, but upon further investigation, it comes to light that the guest was impatient as well. Undoubtedly, the relevant department should always be courteous to the guests. However, the guests should always display high morals, and when faced with such issues, they ought to cooperate with the administration as much as possible. Nonetheless, Malik Sahib fulfilled his waqf to the best of his abilities. When I was serving as Nazir Allah, I was also appointed as Nazir Ziafid, and he was Naib Nazir Ziafid. 
I witnessed that he would take great care of Jamaat property and never refrain from saying what he thought was correct. Even though he was my naib, if I had given an instruction and he thought that something else was better for the interests of the Jamaat, without hesitation he would immediately raise his concern and would say that if we work in this manner it would be more beneficial. This is an attribute that every Waqf Zindagi ought to adopt in that they should express their opinion whilst maintaining decorum. He had a strong bond with Khilafat which was evident from every letter of his and from the two times he came to meet me. May Allah the Almighty shower His mercy and forgiveness upon him and elevate his status. May Allah grant his wife and children patience and steadfastness and enable them to continue his virtuous deeds. The second funeral is of Professor Munawar Shamim Khalid Sahib, son of Sheikh Mahbub Alim Khalid Sahib, who passed away in Rabwa on 16th of February 2020 at the age of approximately 81 years old. Verily to Allah we belong, and to Him shall we return. As mentioned earlier, his father was Sheikh Mahbub Alam Khalid Sahib, who was a Nazir and also a professor of TI College. Hazrat Khrib III then appointed him as Nazir Batul Mal Ahmad, and he served in this capacity for a long time. Hazrat Khalifa Masih IV Rahimahullah then appointed him as Sadr Sadaranjuman Ahmadiyya. Shamim Khalid Sahib was his eldest son, and he left behind Shahida Munawar of Shamim Sahiba, who was his second wife, and from his first wife, who has passed away, he has one son, Khalid Nur Sahib, who lives in Canada. In 1964, when Hazrat Khalid the III Rahimahullah was principal of the college and also Sadr Sadaranjuman Ahmadiyya, he led the nikah prayer of Munawar Shamim Khalid Sahib from Masjid Mubarak. At the time, Hazrat Mirza Nasir Ahmed Sahib Rahimahullah Khalid the III stated, Professor Munawar Shamim Khalid Sahib is the son of my close and dear friend Professor Mahbub Alam Khalid Sahib and thus he is dear to me like my own sons. Hazrat Khalif Rahimahullah had a close bond with Munawar Shamim Sahib's father. He served in Majlis Ansarullah Markaziya for 28 years. He worked as a professor in TI College until it became nationalized, and after that he worked for an extensive period of time in a college in Rabwa. I have already mentioned that Munawar Shamim Sahib was the son of Mahbub Alam Khalid Sahib and Shamim Sahib's paternal grandfather was Mawli Farzand Ali who is the former Imam of Fazl Mosque, London. and also served as Nazir Batul Mal. Munawar Shamim Sahib's second wife Shahida Sahib states he possessed many great qualities 
among which the foremost was his love, devotion and reverence to the Khalifa and showing complete obedience to him. He would listen to the sermons regularly and would always derive points from these sermons. He was regular in his prayers and in observing the fasts. He would offer the Tajjud prayer and pray the five daily prayers in congregation. When owing to his illness, he would stop going to the mosque for the prayers. He was pained greatly by this and would often be overcome with emotion. He endured his illness with great patience and never even expressed his pain, nor did he ever have any grievances. Instead, he would always recite Alhamdulillah, i.e. all praise belongs to Allah. Serving the faith with full sincerity, devotion and loyalty were among his prominent qualities. He would always serve joyfully and was very considerate, loyal and treated everyone with kindness. I was a student of his for a short while when he taught in college. But even after, when I was Amir Mukami and Nazri Allah, Shamim Sahib always maintained a relationship of respect with me. He never gave the impression that I was once his student. He would always show obedience to Khilafat and the Nizam of the Jamaat. And even after becoming Khalifa, his expression was extraordinary. May Allah the Almighty shower his mercy and forgive him. May Allah the Almighty grant him a place amongst his loved ones. And may he enable his family members to continue his good deeds. God willing, after the Friday prayers, I will lead the funeral prayers in absentia of both deceased members.